I need you to help me build something. Uh, our, our church budget for stage design is really low. And so I need you to help me build something. So if you're really good uh, good architecture uh, or if you're really good at Legos or Minecraft, you can help me build this. Um, a, fa- a famous preacher named Martin Lloyd-Jones gave this really cool image years ago. And so we're going to build it right now on this stage with your help. Here we go. Imagine two fields out in the country. He was British, so fields out in the countryside. But we're going to imagine just two fields. And if you want to build them, now I got one field here and one field here, big grassy fields. And they're each surrounded with really high stone walls all the way around field number one and really high stone walls all the way around field number two. No doors, no windows. The two fields share a middle wall, really high stone wall. Have you built it? It's really simple, right? Two fields. Here we go. Every person in this entire earth, when they are born besides Jesus Christ, is born in this field under the reign of sin and Satan, where sin and Satan is the master. That's the reality. Every single person. And those who are in this field hear the gospel. And when some hear the gospel, Jesus Christ died for their sins, they can be sanctified and justified. What happens when they put their faith in Christ? This is what happens. This is great for those of you who are into Minecraft. What happens is a big crane of grace comes down, picks the person up, and transfers them into this field. And in this field, Jesus Christ is the king. They are reigning with Christ and under Christ as Lord. They're no longer under the reign of sin, no longer under the reign of Satan. They are now living in this new realm of freedom. Praise the Lord, right? Yeah. Theologians like to call this uh, definitive sanctification. Maybe you've never heard that word before. They also like to call this positional sanctification. What we're getting at here is we have yet to talk about progressive sanctification. This is definitive uh, or positional sanctification. This is the sanctification we talk about where it's a done deal. Of course, you've been justified by faith and declared righteous, and the crane of grace has put you into this realm. But now you are a holy people. You are set apart as a people of God. Sin and Satan no longer has rule and reign in your life. Those have been shattered. Now in this realm, you have desires to please and worship and glorify the Lord. This is what I want to do. This morning, I want to come across as encouraging, come across as strong as I can to encourage you to embrace this new reality, to embrace your new realm under the reign of Jesus Christ and being dead to sin and dead to Satan. And that's where we're going in the book of Romans, as we're going back to Romans. So go ahead and turn there now. Romans chapter 6. And the verses we're going to cover today are verses 1 through 11. It talks about our definitive or positional sanctification. So if you want to go ahead and stand, we will read these verses together. Romans 6, starting in verse 1. 
What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You may be seated. You are dead to sin and alive to God. You're dead to sin and alive to God. These verses right here are some of the most instrumental and critical verses in my first three, four, five years of being a believer. I cannot explain to you how transformational understanding Romans 6 was in my, in my Christian walk. I thought growth just went off the charts. And I think they're very important for you too, very critical for you to understand. I know there's going to be some hard things in here, some things you might not understand or get initially. Maybe you've never heard these things before. Maybe these things sound crazy to you. Uh, and, but I think they're so critical because some of you are stuck in patterns of sin where sin and Satan are reigning over you, and you think that's just the way that it goes, and you just think that maybe that's the way it's going to be till you die, and you're never going to change. And I just want to tell you, my brothers and sisters, sometimes as a pastor, I become very cynical. And in my lower cynical pastoral moments, I, I will actually say to myself and say to those who are close to me, I will say, I feel like most people really don't change. That's a lie. That's totally contrary to the Word of God. Because the Word of God says that Jesus not only saves, but Jesus also sanctifies. Jesus is my Savior. Jesus is my sanctifier. And I believe this truth in Romans 6 is so powerful. And I, I, I even feel like it's so important that I don't feel like this mouth and this body communicating, it's even going to do it even credit for what it can do in your life. So I'm, I almost want to just step aside and just let it be communicated this morning as best as I can, because I think this can change your entire life. You get this, so much will change in your life. You miss this, you will just be kind of kind of clueless in the Christian life. It just won't make sense to you. So you have to get this, and I, I'm afraid that I won't be able to convey it the way I want to. And so I'm going to give up right now, and I'm going to pray. Let's do that. Let's pray. Lord, let your word come alive today. 
this truth that Satan is trying to block from people's minds right now in their hearts. And I just ask, Lord God, that you would use these words of mine or, or trying to convey your, your eternal truth to brothers and sisters who are hurting, who are struggling, who are stuck. And, and Lord, I just ask that your word would come across in a powerful way. We would actually see this vision you're giving us, see this truth, this reality that you want us to embrace. And I just ask that you would change us this morning and see that we can be changed in Jesus. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. What we've been doing is building this, uh, a case. We're building a case for Christ-like change. Uh, starting last week, uh, I said, expect to change. Well, we're in the six-week uh, season of expectation where we want to expect God to move in our life. And part of that is we want to expect to change. And if you don't expect to change, your God is too small. If you have a God that can just save you and not change you, I'm not sure what's going on there. Because God that saves you is the same one that can change you. And so we need to expect him to change you. And we started out by saying, it, admit your ruin and cry out for a rescue. And after this week, I, I just want to say, I, almost like I want to take it back. Because when I said admit your ruin, man, many of you took me up on that offer. And you admit it, you're ruined. And it's like, whoa, what a mess. Can you please take it back and let's all just smile and be happy. Keep your ruin to yourself. No. Are you with me? We want, we want to admit our ruin so that we can receive the rescue. And until we do, we're not going to change. So as we're building this case for Christ-like change, we move on to this week. And this week is number two. It says, embrace your death and resurrection. I know that may seem, if you've never heard this before, whoa, what, what does that even mean? It's the truth of God's word. So let's start with the first part of your crucifixion and being dead to sin. Let's go Romans chapter 6 verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? I mean, we've been throwing around grace. Paul's been throwing around grace and his imaginary opponent, maybe a self-righteous Jew, would say, well, Paul, let's just take your doctrine of grace and if you want grace to explode, maybe we should just sin more and more and more. And so the more we sin, the more grace we get. It's almost like a mocking of the doctrine of grace. And Paul pushes back really hard against that. Look what he says in verse 2. By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? So to Paul, it is inconceivable, and it should be inconceivable to every believer in here, that if you are a believer, that a Christian can go on living in habitual, continual sin on this earth should be inconceivable. Doesn't mean you're not going to sin. Doesn't mean you're not going to mess up. Doesn't mean you're going to be perfect in this life. But to be stuck under the reign and rule of habitual sin until you die, Paul says, no way, because you have died to sin. What does it mean we've died to sin? What's talking about here has something to do with ruling and reigning uh, of sin over the believer. Now, I'm going to kind of shoot some verses at you really fast from this context of Romans. You can look at them or you can just listen to me. When Paul says that we've died to sin, he means we no longer have to live under the ruling power of sin. 
Because sin reigns and rules that we see in chapter 5, verse 21, where it says sin reigned in death. Chapter 6, verse 6, says the believer is no longer enslaved to sin. Chapter 6, verse 12, let not sin reign in your mortal body. Chapter 6, verse 14, sin will have no dominion over you. The fact of the matter is, if you're a believer, you have died to sin. That means that sin is no longer your master. That means the crane of God's grace has lifted you from this field of sin and Satan and transferred you to be under the reign of Christ and under his righteousness, which practically means right now you can say no to sin. You do not have to give in any longer. Did you get that? You do not have to give in to the reign of sin. You can say no. You have a new master now. And we're going to show you you have new power now. And it has to do with you dying. Let's keep going. Let's look at the elaboration. Verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Let's just stop here, all right? Complicated verses. We need to have like a running start or we're not going to understand these verses. For starters, understand that Paul is not trying to elaborate here on the process of baptism. What he's doing, that he's simply alluding to the fact that in the early church, everybody in the believers who are in the body pretty much are baptized. The concept of an unbaptized believer is just ridiculous. So if you're, I mean, it says a little sidebar, if you've not been baptized as a believer, don't be freaking out the rest of the sermon. We've got baptism coming up in the spring, okay? But just understand, right now, he's saying, all of you who have been baptized, he's assuming it to be so, because he's not going to talk about physical baptism. He's going to talk about those who've been baptized physically have had something happen to them spiritually. And he's going to be alluding to this other baptism, this spiritual baptism that happened in the past. And this brings us up to an even more difficult concept that's called union with Christ. Have you ever thought much about union with Christ? What does it even mean? Well, look at some of the terminology we see in verse 5. Verse 5 says, For if we have been united with him... Just kind of summarize real quick. Union with Christ means that in the eyes of God, God sees you in Christ and Christ. In you, you and Christ, union together. And we were talking about this on Tuesday night as elders. And I said, it's a very hard idea to grasp Christ in us. We in him, he's in the body. It's very difficult to grasp. And I said, guys, I have, a, I have an image. It's an image of two tree trunks growing around each other. Can somebody please go figure that out? And one of the elders the next morning went to Sanders Restaurant, took a picture here of this. He said, ooh picture. Send it to me. And, and, and the idea is this. A, a famous theologian said that union with Christ is like the life of the Christian intertwined with Jesus. Like two young trees whose trunks grow around one another. Uh, that's, that's pretty good. Though it's still hard to grasp. And the specifics of this union that we're going to see today is that you have been crucified, buried, and resurrected in union with Christ. Oh, wow. Yes, you've been crucified, buried, and resurrected in union with Christ. Like in the eyes of God, this is the reality. And what Paul is trying to do, he's trying to get you to embrace this reality. Because if you can embrace this reality, it's, it's almost like, ah, I can start to live out of who I am. 
verse 3. Verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? When Christ died on the cross, in the eyes of the Father, you died in him as well. And those who have been killed on the cross, those who were dead, must be buried. Look at verse 4. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. So in the eyes of God the Father, believers have been crucified and buried in Christ, in union with him. And what in the world does that mean? Because I'm still functioning. Most of you who are awake are still functioning. You're still alive. What does it mean that I've been killed and buried? This is so critical. I'm, I'm telling you, as a believer, if you're a believer, you have been killed and buried. You're dead. What does that mean? Jump down to verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified. The old self is the old you in Adam, the old me in Adam, the old unconverted me. Famous theologian John Stott has said, what was crucified with Christ was not part of me called my old nature, but the whole of me as I was before I was converted. Now those of you um, from the 80s and the 90s will understand what I'm talking about here. When I talk about the old me in Adam, the old unconverted me was crucified, what I'm thinking is that the old me the one under the reign of sin and Satan had vanilla ice hair. Way up to here. Look it up on YouTube. Really up on here. Uh, the old me listened to Two Live Crew, filled with cussing. The old me was a cusser. I went clubbing all the time and carousing. That old man, the old me, dominated by sin, killed crucified with Christ. The old me, dominated by the reign of sin, dead and gone. The old you, dominated by the reign of sin and saying, I don't know what you were into, add your own words, add your own images, crucified on the cross, buried, done. Which means now that in union with Christ, your old way of being dominated by sin and Satan it's done. So Paul's like, what are you talking about? How in the world can we as believers continue to submit to the reign of sin and Satan? How can we continue to live in sin? We were killed. Don't you know that you were killed? If you're really a believer, you were crucified. The old you and Adam has been buried. No longer does sin and Satan have to rule and reign your life. That power has been broken. You do not have to give in anymore. It's been broken. Let's get more specific. Verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. There's an enslavement language. For one who has died has been set free from sin. <laughs> you kind of see the point of this crucifixion. is So the body of sin might be brought to nothing. 
Now, when we talk about the body of sin, don't think about this. Don't think about this. Think about the concept of, of these sinful impulses. These sinful impulses that, that used to have this dominating, ruling power in your life. These sinful impulses, this body of sin, uh, of sinful impulses has been brought to nothing. This means that now, this, these sinful impulses have been brought to nothing. This means that now you can say no to sin. You can say no to these sinful impulses. But here's the thing that may freak you out a bit. You're still going to have those sinful impulses. I don't know when you became a believer and those sinful impulses, you started feeling them again when you thought, what in the world? I thought if I was going to be, be a Christian, if I really was a Christian, I wouldn't have these sinful impulses anymore. No, no, no. You're still going to have those sinful impulses. But now if you're a believer, they no longer have ruling power over you. Because you're dead. And the question you want to kind of ask is, why do we still have those sinful impulses? Why do we still feel the temptation to sin? And why do we still have these thoughts and these feelings where we want to sin? Why do we still have those feelings? Now, theologians have had a lot of fun explaining this throughout the centuries. And some of their illustrations have been quite interesting, to say the least. And some of them have been sometimes pretty uh, gross. One of the most famous illustrations from ancient times is, is the concept that a murderer in ancient times would be required to wear the corpse of the person they killed around their body everywhere they went. And the connection would be to the believer who has their old self killed, but yet it's still hanging around. And I don't, I don't find that very helpful. Because if I'm carrying a dead body around, it's dead. It's kind of gross and stinky, but it's dead. So I think the more appropriate illustration for a modern audience is one that I gave this summer, and I am going to copyright it. It is called zombie theology. Now, for those of you who are into zombies, whether uh, you're into World War Z or The Walking Dead, or some of you are into some more of those romantic zombie movies... We all know what zombies are. Zombies are dead people walking around. And in a sense, get this, every believer has a World War Z going on within. We do. We all have this World War Z going on within. Your old self in Adam, along with its passion, desires, and ruling impulses have been killed. That means I don't have to give in anymore. But there's still some movement going on. It's dead, but something's going on. It's moving around. And so the sinful impulses are still there from your body of sin or your flesh. Don't think flesh, but just think sinful impulses. And they kind of act like a zombie, and yet it's trying to get to rule me again. And so that is why you have this World War Z going on within. And what you have to do is you have to say, speak to your zombie flesh, No. I'm not going to give in to you. You can make disgusting noises. You can scream all you want. But you are dead. You have no authority. I'm not going to give in to you anymore. You have no more rain. You are dead. Mr. Old Vanilla Ice Hair, Two Live Crew, listening to Club and Carousing, cussing. You're dead, man. I'm not going to listen to you anymore. I'm going to walk in this newness of life. 
and let not sin reign in me. Because of union with Christ, the bondage of sin is broken. And the news gets even better. Now we are also alive to God. We're not just dead. Look at verse 4. Verse 4 says, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Oh, that's good. As Christ was raised from the dead, so we too walk in newness of life. And here's kind of the deal. It's like one day we're going to be free from the, the presence of sin. But right now we're free from the power of sin. One day we're going to have resurrection bodies reigning with the Lord in heaven, free from the presence of sin. We won't be here anymore. But right now we have been raised with Christ. We're seated in the heavenlies. And now we can be free from the power of sin. We don't have to give in. We're not going to be perfect in this life, but we do not have to give in to the habitual patterns of doing the same foolish thing over and over again. We do not have to give in to the reign of sin anymore. That's been broken. We can walk in newness of life. That's the reality of this union with Christ. Well, what does it look like? Well, look at the key verse again. Verse 4. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And the key phrase here is glory of the Father. What does that mean? What it's getting at here is this glory is referring to the power of God. Like if God, as God's power, raised Jesus from the dead, so that same power that raised Christ, I'm just telling you, that same power is, is activated in us. It, it, <laughs> that same power is working in us. You can call it what you want to call it, the power of the Holy Spirit, resurrection power, power in the blood. We do not have to say yes to sin anymore. We can say no because there's this power working in us that raised us to, to newness of life. And, and it's this power that I want to make sure you get. I want to make sure you get this because some of you are very skeptical. I can see you looking at me all skeptical right now because you're kind of wondering, well, if I have the power, how come I'm not changing? Why am I not changing? Why am I still doing the same things over and over and over again? You feel like you're spinning your wheels. Like, why am I not changing? Did you know at the church office right now uh, over there on South Boulevard, I experienced right outside of my window people literally spinning their wheels almost on a daily basis. You see, the parking in front of, of, our, of our office is slanted down, and people are stuck in the snow. And so I hear the spinning wheels to get out all the time. But, and sometimes I just want to go out there and shout at people in nice ways, in pastoral ways. Because the problem is, I hear them spinning, I smell them spinning, because they're burning their tires, and they think the solution is, push on the accelerator harder. They're going nowhere. So, so get this. They have power. Pressing like power. But they have no movement. What's the problem? Power without traction. No movement. And that's many of you in here. I tell you, you have power to not let sin reign in your life. And you're like, okay. But I have no movement. So are you sure I have power? Yes. But what you lack is traction. 
And I don't want to jump too far ahead in Romans, but too many times the Christian life would go, God, you gave me power to change. I'm not changing. What's your deal? No, what's your deal, man? You have traction. And traction is the means of grace that you are to utilize to participate in your change. It's not just, I have resurrection power, change me, God, boom, I'm changed. No, you need traction. And traction is the word of God, prayer, fellowship, boundaries, fighting the spiritual fight. Too many times we want God to change us with these power, and we're not willing to participate and offer traction. I've got to pause on that one because I could really preach for that one a long time. But I'm going to hold it in the weeks to come. Because when you talk about tonight and this week about power and your ethos means and lack of change, let's talk about what you're doing to gain some traction because you participate in your change as well. But today, we're talking about positional sanctification. So let's continue. Look at verse 8. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died to sin once for all, but the life he lived, he lives to God. So the death and resurrection of Jesus has everything to do with our victory, right? Because he's the one that pulled it off. Because of his resurrection, death has no reign over him, of course. But it has no reign over us because we are in him. And he is the one that broke the bondage of sin, that broke the, these chains that Satan had over us. And he dealt sin and death And Satan, this final blow on the cross and resurrection, and since he reigns over sin and death and the reign of Satan, so can we. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that you will not have a spiritual battle in your life. You won't have fighting in your life where you're fighting to stay holy. And you will have slips. But the standard of the life is that you are not in this habitual reign and rule of sin where you're doing the same thing over and over again. There is freedom through the death and resurrection of Jesus that saves and sanctifies. Now, without jumping way ahead in Romans, you kind of go, well, what are we supposed to do with all this today? I mean, Paul gave the truth, the word of God, about our union with Christ, so what are we supposed to do with it? Well, he ends, or we end today, with verse 11. This is what you're supposed to do with this reality. Verse 11. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You can go ahead and uh, circle the word consider if you want. Some of your Bibles may say reckon. Some of your Bibles may say count, like add it up. The idea here is you need to bring to your mind, bring it to the attention of your heart, that there is a spiritual reality. You are to actually think in your mind and in your heart, ah, When Christ died, I died in him. Sin doesn't have this ruling power in me. When Christ was raised, I was raised in him. That means I can walk in newness of life. You're actually to think those thoughts. Have those in your heart. Meditate on this reality. And you may think, well, is this kind of like a a mind over matter issue? Is this like make-believe, hocus-pocus stuff? No, this is a reality that the Word of God tells us. And we are to draw our hearts to it and our thoughts to it. And this is what is true of your union in Christ. Does it mean you feel like this is true all the time? Does it mean you always see that it's true? But in God's eyes, you are in union with Christ, 
death, burial, and resurrection. If God says it's true, no matter what you feel, it is true. If God says it is so, it is so. If God's word says sin does not have to reign over us, it does not have to reign over us. If God says you were killed and crucified, you were killed and crucified. If he says that you were raised to walk the new life, you can walk the new life. If God says it's so, I'm going to believe it and say, okay, it's so. Embrace it. Believe it. Think about it in your head. Believe in your heart. Embrace it. You are dead to sin and alive to God. The crane of God's grace has transferred you from the reign of sin and Satan. This is the reality. Picked you up and put you under the reign of Christ and his righteousness. That is true if you're a believer. But here's the daily reality. We've got our two fields, sin and Satan are over there. We're over here now in Christ. And so here is the daily reality. In this field where sin and Satan reign in the world, this is what happens. Sin and Satan shout over the wall to you. And they say things like this. Hey, what's up? Do you want to come out and play? Daily, daily reality, okay? Now, you're on this side of the field, and you have some things you can say back. You could say, hey, Satan, what's up? Hey, sin, what's up? I'm not supposed to be talking to you right now, but what, what, what do you have in mind? What, what do you think we should do today? What, what, what? That's, a, that's a great idea. See, that's the... Or you could say, Satan, No. I'm dead to you. I've died. And I want to keep things very friendly, uh, family friendly here, and not things that you could say to Satan. But you may say things like, get thee behind me, Satan. Stay away from me. Sin, get away. I mean, do you realize I am now under the reign of Christ and righteousness? And here's what we're going to do in the coming weeks. So if the wall's here, you don't want to be living like this on the wall with your ear up to it. <laughs> Come on. What say? What'd you say? What? Yeah. No. Here is progressive sanctification. Moving further and further away from the wall. Where sin and Satan and the temptations and their voice becomes faint. They never go away. They become faint and have less pull over you. Further and further away. More and more under the reign of Christ and his righteousness. Because you're dead to sin and alive to God. Let's pray. Lord, it's the reality you've set up. Help us to believe it. Help us to embrace it. We're talking about spiritual realities that we are a part of. Help us to believe this. For those of us who believe, we've been killed and raised. And Lord, for the, for the man in here who does not, embraces it with his head, but his life and his heart does not believe it's so, I just ask you would show him that it is true. He does not have to let sin and Satan reign. He can get traction for the means of grace. And for the, for the girl in here who just feels like she's stuck in bondage, may she believe that she is free in Christ. Not because of the works that she has done, but the works that Jesus has done and the crane of grace is put her under a new realm. May we believe this. May we embrace this. May we live in this new reality, dead to sin, alive to God. In Jesus' name, amen.